Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. What's up? Jason Tatum here. Ball up wherever you are with NBA 2K Mobile. Playing game events to collect NBA legends and rising stars to assemble your dream team and settle things on the court. Download NBA 2K Mobile now on the App Store and Google Play. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Pick Aside Podcast. My name is Joel Moran and I'm here with Jack Bartek and this is episode 30 of the podcast. In today's episode, we will discuss the NBA draft and free agency, as well as give our picks for who will be picked top three. We're also going to give our takes on where Chris Paul should get traded to and where free agents should sign. Then we will shift to the NFL and talk about the Dwayne Haskins benching situation, top five NFL rookies so far, if the Browns are for real, and how we feel about Justin Herbert. And as always, we're going to give our week six NFL pick predictions. So to start off the show, NBA draft, top three, everybody kind of thinks they know the order, LaMelo, Wiseman, Edwards, Something within that variation. Where do you think each player goes and why? So I think if we're basing it talent-wise, my first pick, and this is if you asked me even six months ago, I would have sound, I would have been singing a completely different tune. But I think that LaMelo Ball is the most talented player in the draft. So if we're basing it just on talent, I think you'd be a fool not to pick LaMelo. I think he's grown so much from a lot of the drama and missteps that you saw from him in high school. And when he went down to, I believe it was the N- the NBL, the, the Australian yeah, Basketball I think it was, League, yeah. he really showed that he could play with pros. And that's something that we, granted, they're not at the same stage in life. We saw that from Luka and, and saw how well he played in his professional league, and it came over and translated. And I feel like usually when you get a player playing well in a professional league overseas, yeah. it translates. It's a different level. You can't, you can't even compare college basketball to professional. As much as they're all great athletes, some of those guys don't even have aspirations to be pro. When you look at the NBL, all those guys are making a living playing basketball. So even though it's a step below the NBA, I think it said a lot about how well he played in that league. But with all that being said, and, and as, as impressed as I've been with him, there's still the concerns. You know, one, you know the family history, and as much as I love Lonzo, it's followed him, and he's even tried to distance himself from it, and it's yeah. still caught up with him time and time again. So is that going to be a problem with LaMelo, who was an even bigger personality than Lonzo was? Is he going to be able to make it in a big market like a New York, or is he going to get caught up in the shining lights like Lonzo in L.A. by the media circus? So that is my big question with LaMelo. Can he separate himself from the ball family drama? If he can do that and can play like he played in the NBL, the NBL, I think he is surefire number one pick. I think he will be a superstar in the league. He has all the tools, and he is what the game is becoming, a six seven point guard that can shoot the basketball 
Uh, that is what the game is becoming. Size, can shoot, a playmaker. I mean, look at the playoffs. Look at who succeeded. Who came out on top was the guy, LeBron James, the playmaker. He can make a play for anybody. And I'm not comparing LeBron to LaMelo. But at I the was end about of the to day, say. At the end of the day, it takes playmakers to win games, and I think that he is that dude. It, you made a good point about uh, their family history and how, well, really just how outspoken LeVar has been. Um, but I think I read somewhere that LeVar had an opinion about the Warriors and LaMelo, basically saying the Warriors would be foolish to not pick LaMelo, something along those lines. And LaMelo basically said that his dad has his own opinions and he has his. So I think he's starting to separate himself, but I I, I agree. I think Minnesota should take LaMelo ball first, and the reason is because you have D'Lo, Who's really a two? D'Lo's really a two. I agree. With He's you. not really a one. Uh, you already have Malik Beasley, so it wouldn't make sense to draft Anthony Edwards there. And you Just, have and you have Carl Towns as a yeah, big. Exactly. So. It wouldn't make sense to draft James Wiseman there. It wouldn't make sense to draft Anthony Edwards there. It makes sense to draft Lamelo because he's a playmaker. He can set up for D'Lo, for Beasley, for Towns. The biggest question mark about him is going to be his motor and. His defense. And and just to play off that point is you're talking about the Minnesota Timberwolves, who is the same team that Jimmy Butler was there two years ago and took the practice squad and wiped the floor with them. And the motor for that team has been a question mark since yeah, then. I mean, and do I think that, you know, maybe things have changed over the past few years? Of course they could have. But I think in some aspects, Carl Towns is still the same dude he was. And although they got rid of Andrew Wiggins, they brought in D'Angelo Russell. And I love D'Angelo Russell, but he's also had those question marks. So that's a concern, and it's more concerning that you're putting him in a group that doesn't have that veteran presence like uh, a Jimmy Butler, ironically enough, who, who left there to steer him in the right direction. And a starting lineup of LaMelo, D'Lo, Beasley, and Towns just sounds like a defensive disaster. It really just sounds like a defensive disaster. They're going to put up a bunch of points, but they might not be able to stop anybody. Yeah. And so I think Minnesota has a lot of work cut out for them. I don't think this pick is going to be the answer to all their questions and problems. It's definitely not. This draft is a weird draft because there's not a surefire number one pick. LaMelo has upside to become like a superstar, but he's not one of those players that we're almost 100% certain he's going to become a superstar. In certain drafts, we're kind of sure. Like, you look at last yeah, year. I mean, the ja, top, the top. We knew three Ja pick, was going to be a star. I could have told you the top three picks from February. I'll I'll even say March. Once March Madness hit, and you saw what Ja Morant was doing in the tournament, you would have been a madman not to say Zion at one, Ja at two, and RJ at three, or at least some combination of those three guys at one, two, three, and yeah. then even the next, you know, four through ten were fairly predictable. You knew who was going to go in that crop. Yeah. And I feel like this draft, you might as well just throw darts. Yeah, and that's the thing. Uh, Golden State has a number two pick. And for me, I think they trade out of the pick. Because I, yeah. I, who are they going to draft? Anthony Edwards? They said there were a report, report, I think, from a uh, this guy named Wes Goldberg, who's like an insider for the Warriors. He covers the Warriors. And he said that the Warriors aren't high on Wiseman. They're more higher on, on Yekka 
and I don't even want to try to pronounce his last name, but he the center from USC. They're more higher on the center from USC. So obviously, it always it always bothers me when the Warriors aren't high on a player because it always tells me something about that player. If the Warriors aren't high on you, a team that is almost a hundred percent confident they can develop any scrub into a star, then I'm not high on you either as a prospect. And that's why I think Anthony Edwards. Does he fit Golden State? Not really. There were reports that they actually want to trade out, out of the pick and draft Devin Vassell, which would be like a good fit for them, like yeah. a good wing guy. So, but I do think Anthony Edwards will be the surefire number number two pick or number one pick. Um, it just really depends. Yeah, I, I see Anthony Edwards as much as he's listed more as a small forward. I see him as more of a really bigger explosive shooting guard. Mm-hmm. Like I think he he's a scorer more than anything. And the Warriors definitely do not need that. They need more, uh, in my opinion, they need more of a, either a big man or a grinded-out defensive-centered wing, which there were a lot of last draft, and of course now they have the pick and there's none of them there. But I do think if they can drop down within the top 10 but late, where they can still get Onyeka and you know maybe bring in some other assets in that deal, I think that would be an A-plus for them if they are higher on him. Um I, I would have thought that James Wiseman would be the obvious pick. Uh, Me too. Because that's the hole that you see on the roster. Yeah, and if you look at him back in high school, he was the guy. Like, there were people saying that by the time he left Memphis, he could be the the late great, like the latest greatest prospect, the best since LeBron, and it just didn't pan out. You know, he goes he to should, Memphis. He should have been in this draft for DeAndre Ayton was in 2018. 100%. But he goes to Memphis, he gets caught up in that scandal and ends up essentially dropping out and preparing for the draft. And I feel like that really hurt his draft stock. And people are talking about, you know, other options from college basketball and, and making your way to the pros. But at the end of the day, the best way to get eyeballs on you is playing college basketball and being successful. Because mm-hmm. people watch March Madness. And people have look at Carson Edwards from Purdue, you know, just a, a year ago. Nobody really knew about He was known, but he probably would not have been a first-round pick without his March Madness performance, and he goes in, lights the world on fire, mm-hmm. and becomes a first-round pick. And that happens with a lot of players. Exactly. Look at Dante DiVincenzo having with him, too. Yeah. John Morant really solidified himself as the number two pick, I feel like, performing against big-time teams in the tournament. So I, I think that missing that college season really hurt him, especially in a year that... A lot of people, myself included, thought Memphis would be a power player come March. And they fell apart. And and he was the first domino in that. If you're on the clock, hypothetically, let's just say hypothetically, because the Hornets got the third pick, right? Edwards. (laughs) The Hornets need anybody. They have no no solidified positions. Edwards and Wiseman are on the board. Who are you taking if you're the Hornets? Are you taking James Wiseman or are you taking Anthony Edwards? Personally, I'm taking Edwards just because I think there's less question marks around him. I feel mm-hmm. like he's a more sure pick. I I feel like I know what I'm getting out of him more than I am from Wiseman, especially because Wiseman is something that you don't really see in the league. It's becoming the trend, 7-1-240. He could step out and shoot it, and, and he plays almost more like a wing than a big. But I think that Edwards is the more prototypical what you see in a superstar. 
You know, he's incredibly explosive, can jump out the gym. He defends, he scores, and that is what's been running the league for the past decade. Look at the best players, and again, I'm not comparing these guys, but LeBron James, Kawhi Leonard, all Kevin Durant, all the best players in the league, for the most part, have been two-way wings. Even James Harden has developed his defensive side of the ball. Two-way wings dominate the league. But do you think that Anthony Edwards is that good defensively? Because from what I've seen in college, he that was like the area he struggled in. Like, he has all the physical tools to be a good yeah, defender, yeah. And, and, but he hasn't been one. And that's my thing is he has the tools and getting into an NBA program. I And a lot depends on where he lands because I think that the Miami Heat this year were the best example. doesn't matter what you are as a prospect you got to land in the right spot because Tyler Hero and Duncan Robinson, if they landed in Charlotte, you wouldn't be hearing their name. But going to Miami turned them into legit star candidates. I wish Atlanta would have had the number two pick and drafted Edwards. I feel like Atlanta would be the perfect spot for him. They're building something very nice over there, and it would have been a great fit. And for Edwards, you know, if he ends up being a warrior... There's no place better for him because they have yeah. the best player development in the league, in my opinion. So that would be an A-plus win. The Timberwolves, you know, we've seen they've been hit or miss. They had Carl Towns, who I think that he would have been a star no matter where he went, but then they also had a couple of guys that they messed up on. They've Zach, been horrible at drafting. Yeah, Zach yeah. Levine ends up going to Chicago, getting much better. Andrew Wiggins, I don't even want to get into that pick. And... Charlotte Wesley Johnson. What do they What do they have going in Charlotte? I, I mean, Charlotte. I think is a. They have talent. I mean, uh, Devontae Graham broke out last year. Terry Rozier had a great season last year too. As much slack as he got in Boston, he was really good in Charlotte. They drafted a really good player in PJ Washington. I like PJ Washington, and I like Bridges. And but- Bridges is getting better. Like, because that's the thing with me is that if I'm the Hornets, I pick Wiseman because I think your starting center right now is Cody Zeller. Like in Indiana, he was great, but in the NBA, he's been a solid center. He hasn't been a scrub, but he's been just a guy in the NBA. Ten point six rebounds—that's what he gives you. I think Wiseman is think would be the, the pick better, there. He's the better fit for yeah. them. No Devontae Graham, Rozier, Miles Bridges, PJ Washington, PJ Washington, Wiseman. I think that's a that's a good group of guys. And if if Wiseman can can even live up to a little bit of the potential that people expect out of him then I think the Hornets will have something special with him there. Yeah, and they have this great quote. Uh, they asked him about, you know, what, what his, who he plays like. And he said, some people say Chris Bosh, Kevin Garnett, and even David Robinson. But really, I'm my own person. I want to create my own path. I want to be the next James Wiseman so people look up to me one day. But I've patterned my game compared to those three players, so I just say it. And I've really been getting a lot of film from the Greek freak, Giannis. So I've been studying his game too. I really, I've really just been trying to soak up as much information as I can. If he can even touch any of those three players. I feel like every single NBA prospect says that. Yeah, of course. But like you said, if he could even scratch the ceiling of his potential, it would jumpstart the Hornets rebuild tenfold. But for me, I just feel like right now the Hornets are so far away. That, in my opinion, would be the worst landing spot. At least Minnesota has some star power. You get the feeling that with a good offseason, they could make some noise. I feel like no matter what Charlotte does this offseason, save for uh, a Hail Mary pitch to Anthony Davis, 
they're not making any noise next season. You know, um, when James Harden got drafted, he said that he is a combination of Manu Ginobili and Paul Pierce. I think in like the scouting combine or the draft, he said that. That turned out to be pretty accurate in the end. It did. It did. Wow. But I don't know. I feel like every prospect says that about themselves. They want to carve like their own story. And it's all great. It, it sounds great. But I really want to see what he does. Uh, and obviously, we have to give him the opportunity to do that. But I really want to see what he does. The top three is going to definitely be interesting. 2020, the free agency, I think it's set for December 1st. These are the free agent lists, right? Unrestricted free agents, the most important ones, in my opinion. Fred Van Vliet, Montrez Harrell, Danilo Gallinari, Davis Bertans, Paul Millsap, Sergi Baca, Marcus Morris, Joe Harris, Goran Dragic, Christian Wood, Jeremy Grant. Restricted free agents are Brandon Ingram and Bogdan Bogdanovich, the one that plays for the Kings. And player options are Anthony Davis, DeRozan, Gordon Hayward, Andre Drummond, and Evan Fournier. So I just want to get your take on which free agent do you think can make the most impact going to a new team and what team would that be? Well, I, I think first off, just listening to that list of names, I've seen it, but listening to you say it, that is such a weak free agency class. Yeah, most, most definitely. I feel like every player here that has a player option accepts their option. Yeah, and, and Anthony Davis essentially, with his comments yesterday post game. Confirmed that he's going back to L.A. Yeah. Brandon Ingram, Pelicans are going to match any offer. 100%. Probably the same thing with Bogdanovich, probably to a certain extent. The best free agents here are Montrez Harrell, Gallinari, and Van Vliet. Yeah, and, and to be honest, we've spoke about Fred Van Vliet, and I've heard his name floated around with the Knicks, and I just don't know if that's something that they want to get into. Paying him, you know, what is it going to be, upwards of $25 million a year? And I just don't know if he's shown you that much yet to be paying him that much money, especially in a position that the Knicks are in, unless they take uh, an approach to their rebuild where they're going to try and take cast-offs and turn them into pieces to rebuild, which it worked for the Nets. So if you can figure out a way to do that, then go ahead with that. But I don't know if he is a difference maker like the Knicks might think he is. I don't know your take on, on Fred Van Vliet. Um. I think we should get Fred Van Vliet. The Knicks should get him. I don't agree with paying him up for so like $25 million, but maybe like an $18 million contract to oh, twenty. Yeah. I'd take it because we need shooting. We need a real legit point guard who can probably play the two sometimes. We just need to build a culture in New York. Knicks fans, people that watch Knicks and just the Knicks front office in general, they always look for these quick fixes, right? They always look to get these stars and never build a culture. The reason the Nets were able to land Durant and Kyrie is because they built a culture first. You have to get the D'Lo's and the Dinwiddie's of the world to play for your team before you can get the Durant's and Kyrie's. And I feel like Fred Van Vliet is one of those culture-building guys. He's one of those guys that's going to come, play hard, and I think he fits right in with what Tom Thibodeau wants to do, play defense and play hard. I think that's what Van Vliet is going to do. So obviously my first pick would just, I would love Fred Van Vliet on the Knicks. Do I think Toronto lets him go? It really depends. Um, but I like Brandon Ingram to the Knicks even more. And I feel like I wouldn't mind them offering him a max. If you can if you can find a way to get Brandon Ingram from the Pelicans, that is an A-plus win. Yeah. But I just don't see the Pelicans letting him walk under any circumstances. 
Um, but I do really like the point you made about Fred Van Vliet and the comparison to the Nets across the city. As much as I don't think he's a difference maker, he can be a difference maker in a sense that he can start to turn things around. Yeah. And that is how you end up getting talent in the building. And as for the Nets, I think that one guy on that list that can make a big impact for a good team is Joe Harris. Yeah, of course. And a, a lot of people don't understand how much of a role he played for the Nets, and they think he's just a great three-point shooter, which he is, but he really is a big piece of that team. He defends. He's not a great defender, but he's a solid wing defender, and he really opens up the entire offense because not only does he have that, you know, J.J. Redick, come off of screens and and find a wide open shot. But he also creates other ways. He goes to the basket. He can finish at the rim at one of the highest levels in the league. And then when he gets to the basket, if there's no lane, he can play make. And I think that a lot of people don't realize the many facets of his game. And if he can get to a contender like the Lakers or the Bucks, if they end up bringing Giannis back, he can play a huge role for a team like that. So what, what free agent do you think is going to have the most impact? Like, which one do you think is him going to this team makes them legit contenders? Well, I think the obvious answer that's not going to be an option is Anthony Davis. That's the cop-out answer. But unrestricted free agents. Yeah, when you look at the list of guys that are actually going to be available, I believe Montrez was unrestricted. Mm-hmm. I think that he is the most talented guy on the list. I think he showed some of his deficiencies in his game in the playoffs for the Clippers. So there's a lot to work on there, but he he definitely can play a huge role for a good team. He just needs to find the right landing spot. And in a different sense, not even affecting the win-loss column, almost in a way like you said with Fred Van Vliet, I think that Goran Dragic would be a huge get for any team in the league looking to rebuild. And he helped the Heat so much in the bridge from LeBron James and the Heatles to Jimmy Butler and what they're building now. And he was willing to accept any role. He was willing to do anything for that team. And year in and year out, he was putting up at least close to all-star numbers. So it's almost like a Chris Paul situation where, you know, you might not be bringing in the best player in the league, but he's going to do whatever he needs to do to help you win while also mentoring the younger guards on your roster. And I think that that is invaluable to a team in a position like maybe the Chicago Bulls who have a couple of guards that they're trying to develop in Chicago. And there's other teams in that situation, but I think that he can be a great guy to not only help your team win some games, but also more importantly, develop some of the younger guys on your roster. You know, I think the most important player for me is Danilo Gallinari. I have him landing in two spots. The first spot is Dallas. I would really love to see Gallinari in Dallas. That would be a great landing spot. But I think the most realistic spot for Gallinari is going to Miami. They wanted to trade for him at the trade deadline. They really won Gallinari. And Gallinari is that type of player that could probably take the heat over the top. Have another score next to Jimmy. They made the finals this past year. They have a great culture already. So... If you add Gallinari, a player who could score 18 points per game, I think they have a real legit chance. And Gallinari's even said it. He said that he doesn't care about a contract anymore. He's not in his 20s. He wants to win a championship. So he's already kind of winking at the fact that he'll take the MLE 
He'll take the mid-level exception. He won't break the bank, break a team's bank to get him. So I think him in Miami would be a perfect fit. I like the fit in Dallas because just of all the foreign players that they have. But uh, I think Gallinari probably makes the biggest impact because Fred Van Vliet, he's kind of a mystery in what he's going to do, right? Because um, he's only really played in Toronto's system, which is like one of the best running systems in the league. Montrez Harrell doesn't really fit today's game, even though he's a, like a great energy player. Gallinari fits... I think he's the best free agent in this class. And, and you look at a team like the Heat, like you mentioned, he would slide right into that offense. And you look at even them in the finals, how many opportunities were created for guys like Duncan Robinson, Tyler Hero, even Jay Crowder was getting wide open shot opportunities. And now if you could replace him with Danilo Gallinari, who can obviously knock down a shot at a higher level than Jay Crowder, that would be a huge boost to their offense. So for the unrestricted free agents, I actually curated a list on which ones I think who's going to go where. I think Fred Van Fleet goes to the Knicks. I do. If you, if you can get him for around $18 million, I would say that's a win for you guys. But for the price tag that I've been seeing him wanting, I think that that is something I would fade for you. I think Montrez Harrell goes to the Hornets. I see Gallinari going to the Heat. I see Davis Burton staying in Washington. I see Paul Millsap going to Phoenix. That would be a good fit for him. I see Sergi Baca staying in Toronto. I also, not to interrupt, I think Phoenix is a playoff team next year. Yeah, I don't me too. How, I don't know how they're going to figure it out because that West is stacked, but I think that they're going to take what they did in the bubble and amplify it on a bigger stage. You look at them this year, and if DeAndre Ayton doesn't miss the first 20 games to a suspension, they could have made it. Yeah, it's a whole different ball game. Mm-hmm. So I think they're a playoff team next year, and getting Millsap, who has that experience, would be great for them. Yeah, he could do what he he did for the Nuggets for the Phoenix exactly. Suns. So Marcus Morris, they traded a first round pick for him. I think he stays with the Clippers. Joe Harris stays with the Nets. Goran Dragic, I have him going to the Lakers. Wow, that would be great for the Lakers. He would he would really be a good fit. I think there. Goran Dragic to the Lakers really gives them that scoring punch off the bench, or he can start for them. It really doesn't matter either way. I think that would be a really great fit for him. Yeah, and you look at their guard lineup right now: Avery Bradley, who missed the bubble, and then Rondo, Caruso, KCP, Danny Green. None of them were that good offensively. They each yeah. had their nights and. You know, Rondo had some great games. KCP had some great games. But none of them are going to consistently give you solid output every night. And I think Goran Dragic would be a nice change of pace to those great defensive guards Mm -hmm. where he can pack a punch. Even if it's off the bench, he could probably give you 18 to 20 a night off the bench. And that would be a huge help to LeBron and Anthony Davis on the scoring side of the basketball. So for the last two players, I have Christian Wood re-signing with the Pistons or going to the Knicks. Because they're really high on Christian Wood. That would be great. I, I really like Christian Wood's game. Yeah, me and too. I think that he took huge strides last year. And I think that he only has more room to grow. And I, I think he can really progress to be one of the better big men in the game. And Jeremy Grant, the last one, I have him staying in Denver. I think Denver has to make a decision on whether they want to keep Millsap or Grant. Because I don't think they can keep both. Because you have to give Michael Porter Jr. minutes. And they both play his kind of basically wing position. So I think that's an easy answer for me. Take the guy who's shooting 40% from three, damn near, and he's a younger and better defender. So that's why I feel like Millsap walks. And I think Phoenix for Millsap is 
a perfect fit for him. Yeah, and I think that Grant is a guy that any contending team in the league should look at because yeah. he he really does everything. You he's not high maintenance. He doesn't need the ball. You know, thirty percent of possessions. It, you can ask him to play defense and shoot the three ball, and he will do both of those at a very high level, and that is invaluable in the league today. And yep. I think that any contender should be looking at him very closely. Yeah. So that does it for like this free agency. It's like you said, it's really weak free agency. The the real free agency's next season when Giannis, yeah. Kawhi, Paul George, they're gonna be available. But there's one guy who's available this offseason, not through free agency, but via trade. This guy is Chris Paul. Chris Paul can probably turn any team that's on the brink of winning a championship over the hump to winning a championship. Granted, he stays healthy because that's always been his Achilles heel, heel throughout his career. Where would you like to see Chris Paul get traded? I know he's been floating around to the Knicks. And <laughs> <laughs> as, much as, as much as I don't like the idea of giving up a bunch of assets for an older aging contract in Chris Paul, you look at what he did in Oklahoma City, and again, it's something I alluded to in the free agency part of the show. It's not what he's going to do for you in the win-loss column, but he can really help you build something that will last. And I, again, I'm going to compare it to the Nets here. A guy like D'Angelo Russell, who's going to be coming, going to be coming in. You're not expecting him to turn your franchise around in the win-loss column, but you look at what he did for the Nets. He served a purpose. He changed the culture, and he created Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant coming to Brooklyn. It wouldn't have happened without D'Angelo Russell. And I think that Chris Paul can be that bridging of the gap for the Knicks where you know he can not only mentor your younger players, depending on who would go on the deal, you you still are going to have at least – two or three of Dennis Smith, R.J. Barrett, Frank Nittalakina, Kevin Knox, Mitchell Robinson, although they're not all guards, just having him as a mentor, leader, the things that he does, you can't, you can't teach it unless he's in the building, and it will rub off on the players in the building, and I think that that is so important. You look at a lot of the great teams in the league, and they have great cultures. And they have built something that lasts. The Miami Heat are the perfect example. They made it to the finals this year simply because they are an incredibly run organization. And I think that Chris Paul could be a step in the Knicks getting back to that. I think they're still a long ways off. But yeah. he could at least, from a player personnel standpoint, not only it would almost like be having a, another player development executive in, in there along with having a great point guard. With Chris Paul, for me, if he goes to New York, I'd be happy with the move because I feel like we'd be in the playoffs, at least as the eighth seed with Chris Paul. And I think Knicks fans are, are so thirsty to even take, they're so thirsty to even have playoff basketball that that's like winning a championship for Chris Paul. And if he, if he takes us to the playoffs in New York, but honestly, I love Chris Paul and I want him to win an actual championship. So I want him to go to Milwaukee. I want him to go to Milwaukee and play with Giannis. I feel like him and Giannis, that, that's the exactly the player that Giannis needs, a Chris Paul type of guy, a guy who can shoot, slow down the tempo, be a leader, and really just play to the game and control the pace of the game. That's what Chris Paul is. He's a true point guy. And I think Milwaukee could probably trade Eric Bledsoe or maybe maybe a pick or two for Chris Paul. 
I think that would be a good move. Because I, I think Eric Bledsoe, he just doesn't fit with Giannis. Like, he's a great defender, no doubt about it. But he's just not the fit for Giannis. And Milwaukee's desperate right now, right? Yeah, and, and the Thunder could play off, mm-hmm. you know, a, take a huge gamble on maybe Giannis doesn't go back to Milwaukee. And if he doesn't, those two or three picks that you would be getting in that deal go from late 20s to a lot high lottery pick. Yeah, like, for me... I just feel like Chris Paul, and I just feel like Milwaukee's desperate right now. They need to find a way to get Giannis help fast. There really isn't any big name out there that they can really get. They can't get anybody in free agency because they don't have the cap space. Unless one of these guys that are free agents decides to take like an MLE, right? So they need to trade for somebody. I don't even know if the contract would work. Because I know Middleton's getting paid 40 mil. Giannis is probably getting paid like 30 plus mil. Bledsoe's not even near like 30 million. He's probably like at what, like 18 million. So I don't know if it would work, but I think Chris Paul in Milwaukee would probably be the best fit. And I think he'd have a legit chance at winning a championship if he were to go there. I know some people are talking about Chris Paul to the Lakers as well. That wouldn't be a bad move if he could go there. It wouldn't. It, it the same money problem would present itself. Chris Paul to Phoenix, I think that's a good move. I like that. I I'm high on Phoenix. So any any veteran players going to Phoenix, I think would be huge for them because I think that's what they're missing is, and they're kind of getting it from Ricky Rubio, but he doesn't have nearly the pedigree that a guy like Chris Paul or Paul Millsap does, and I think that adding that would put them over the top. Not obviously championship level, but put them over the top in a sense that they can really compete, and they might, you know, give a couple team, couple legit teams a scare in the playoffs if they got there. I hope that Chris Paul finds, like you said, a championship level landing place because if he doesn't win a championship, I feel like his legacy won't it's be gonna held be forgotten in the in as high a regard as it should, at, like a guy like John Stockton. He had an incredible career, and looking back on it, I feel like he doesn't get the respect he deserves because he never got that championship. I also feel like it's how John Stockton looks as well. Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't really look like he's a guy that's like was really that dominant yeah. in the yeah. NBA. But, yeah, I agree, and I feel like I, I, really, I would really love for Chris Paul to get a championship. I also like Dallas's landing spot for him. If they could get him. But it's it, the thing about Chris Paul is that it's not just – like, yeah, he's good, but he also has injury concerns, especially when getting into the playoffs. Like, am I going to give up this valuable asset who's durable for a guy who's, like, 35 and gets injured in the playoffs? I mean, he got injured with the Rockets, right? And that's why people Cost say they didn't, the yeah, that they didn't win the series. So are you willing to trade that many assets to Chris Paul and pay him $40 million for, for maybe a risk? You know, there's a lot of stuff involved, the politics of the league, right? But, you know, if this is like an NBA 2K model, you do that in a heartbeat, right? Yeah, 100%. But, Turn off injuries yeah, and you're fine. But this is like real life, so it's a really big risk to take a gamble on Chris Paul. That's why with these teams that are contending like Milwaukee, like Dallas, like uh, they, they really can't risk too much because then they're going to really, they're really going to, they're really going to burden their future, right? Yeah. But a team like the Knicks and the Suns, they could take that. And and I was just going to hit on that. As much as I want to see him win a championship, he makes so much more sense for a team that's in the middle of a rebuild. 
because like I, everything I said for the Knicks is true for anywhere else he goes. And even if he does have these injury problems, it's like having another front office executive on the roster and he will make incredible contributions without even stepping on the court. So I think that the more logical landing spot for him would be like a New York where he can do a, a Chicago where he could develop the young talents that they have. Chicago's a good spot too. I didn't even think about that. But I really would I would want to see him win a championship. And it's kind of like a, a heart versus mind type of thing. In my heart of hearts, I want to see him win a championship, but thinking logically at it, this stage in his career, it's very unlikely he does. Yeah, especially looking at what he did for the Thunder. He, although he was helpful in them being competitive, his bigger impact there was what he did for Shea Gilgis Alexander and growing that core, and the fact that he brought in you know a, a handful of first picks to add to their yep unbelievable number of picks that they're going to have to rebuild with, and now you know he's going to net them even more. Yeah, basically. So, transitioning to the NFL, over the past couple of weeks, Dwayne Haskins was benched, right? Ron Rivera benched him. They're moving on from Haskins, basically, at least for the time being. How do you feel about Dwayne Haskins getting benched? Do you believe in him going forward, or you think it's pretty much over for him? I, I really like Dwayne Haskins, the guy. I don't know about him as a quarterback. I feel like he has been in a less severe Sam Darnold situation where he hasn't been surrounded by the talent that you would like your rookie quarterback to flourish in. You know, his coaching has been shaky. His offensive line has been hit and miss. His weapons have been okay. You know, he's had a guy like Terry McLaurin, but, you know, it's never been all there for him in that offense. And overall, the Red... Not the Redskins, the Washington football team, now the Washington football team, formerly the Redskins when he was drafted, have been dysfunctional. And so that will never be a recipe success, a, rep, a recipe for success for a rookie quarterback. I don't know if he has the tools because I don't feel like he's been given that fair shake, just like I said for Sam Darnold. But I really like him as a guy, and I think that he has those leadership skills that are necessary for a, a very good quarterback, but can he put it all together? I think that he showed a little bit of immaturity on his hypothetical way out in, in Washington. He hasn't been dealt yet, but he's almost got one foot out the door, and I don't like the way he's handled it. But you look at a situation like, you know, week one when Ron Rivera had to go and get treatment during halftime, and he couldn't give a speech, and... Dwayne Haskins, without being prompted, gives the halftime speech. They come out in the second half and win the football game. I think he has that it factor that you want from a leader. It's just he has to mature a little bit and put it together on the football field. But I don't think that it it would be dumb for a team like what the Saints did with Jameis Winston, who have an established quarterback and bring in a, a, a solid backup to learn behind Drew Brees, something like that. I think it would be wise for a team with a good quarterback to bring him in to be that next step. And I don't know where that is, but I think he can flourish in the right situation. I'm done with Dwayne Haskins. <laughs> I'm done with him. I don't even think he's comparable to Sam Donald in terms of the talent level. Um, 
In Ohio State, he was babied in the offense. You got an offense with Terry McLaurin, who's the number one wide receiver now. Paris Campbell was like a first-round pick at the time. I mean, Ohio State was a loaded team, and they even babied him. Urban Meyer in the draft process said, Dwayne is not ready. He needs to learn a couple years, right? And we're seeing that right now. I mean, he doesn't know the offense. He doesn't know where his checkdowns are. And, like, for me, and right, quite frankly, he's just an arrogant, cocky, player slash person so when you said that you like Dwayne as a person that's your opinion but for me I really don't because I feel like he's arrogant and he thinks he's better than he is and I feel like players like that don't usually succeed in the NFL and I think that's a product of like social media with all these highlight clips that are coming out you you know all these comments and likes people saying that you're the best you're all this you're all that you're gonna be you know a hall of fame legend or whatever it got to his head you know and I don't just say this because I just don't like Dwayne Haskins. I say this because of evidence that has come out of Washington, right? So Grant Paulson, who's an insider for the Washington football team, he said Dwayne Haskins was bragging about his stat sheet after a loss against the Ravens. He threw for 300 yards, his first 300-yard game in his career, but they lost to the Ravens, and quite frankly, he had a bad game, even though the stats show he didn't play horrible, right? Then Thomas Davis, an all-pro, pro-bowl player that played in Carolina with Ron Rivera in, a, in training camp. Dwayne Haskins was staring down his receiver. And Thomas Davis had the opportunity to, to knock out this receiver because he knew Dwayne was staring at him. Thomas Davis goes to the coaches and says, you better tell Dwayne to stop staring down these receivers because these guys are going to get seriously hurt, Right? They go back on the field. Thomas Davis pulls Dwayne to the side and says, hey, you got to stop staring, bro. You got to stop staring. And Dwayne just shrugs it off like an all-pro isn't talking to him, like an NFL vet isn't talking to him. Like he shrugs it off like you don't know what you're talking about. I know what I'm doing, you know? So I feel like players like that, it isn't a recipe for success. I just feel like players that are arrogant and think they, they're better than they are, they're not coachable. And I think Dwayne Haskins is not coachable. We're talking about a guy in Ron Rivera who had Cam Newton, who recognizes talent, who's been a coach of the year. If Ron Rivera says, basically gives up on Dwayne Haskins three weeks into the year, then I think, yeah, there, there is a problem there. And Kyle Allen, he may not be the best option, right? But he showed flashes last year. And I think Alex Smith at this point, because he doesn't turn over the ball, is like their best option. People were enamored with um, Dwayne Haskins coming out of college. I know the Giants wanted him. They wanted him at that pick. He wouldn't have succeeded in New York either. No, though, at all. the same problems that at they all. have in Washington are the same problems they have in New York. As bad as Daniel Jones has been this, this, this year, he was still the right pick. He was still the right pick if they were picking a quarterback because nobody knew about Gardner Minshew at all, right? He was the right pick. Because Dwayne Haskins would is worse than Daniel Jones. And, you know, I don't see, with, with all these teams that are looking for a successor and quarterback, right, I don't see Dwayne Haskins being that guy that teams really want to, you know, give a lot of compensation for. Sam Donald, he's a guy that Colts are going to come knocking on the door. The Steelers are going to come knocking. Maybe even the Bears. There's teams. There's suitors for Donald because you see those flashes from Donald. Donald says all the right things in the media. He's a quiet guy. Dwayne Haskins, he's kind of an arrogant guy. And most of that is because he's young. He's only like, what, 22 or 23 years old? So he can grow out of that. But today, in this moment, 
He's immature. I also don't think that's necessarily a, a terrible thing to have in a player. I think that it's bad. I think I should say, I think it's good in moderation, and I think you need to know how to control that. And like you said, he's still young and immature, and he needs to hone that in. But I think that you look at some of the best players in football right now, and you ask any of them, and they're going to say they believe they're the best, even if they're clearly not. You know, I think everybody knows yeah. Patrick Mahomes or Russell Wilson is the best quarterback in the NFL right now. But if you ask Deshaun Watson who he thinks is the best quarterback in the NFL is, I guarantee you he's saying Deshaun Watson or thinking Deshaun yeah, Watson. Yeah, that's true. But also, but his, most he, of that is like behind the scenes. I'm yeah. not telling you. Yeah. When it gets to a point that you're in the locker room and you show arrogance towards your teammates and you shrug off an NFL veteran that wants you to learn. You're only 22. This guy's 35, 36. And you shrug it off like you know more than him. I think then it becomes a problem because it's not that your arrogance is giving you better performance on the field. Your arrogance is just making you uncoachable. Yeah. And, un- and unable to deal with criticism. Yeah. And I think that is the immaturity and he needs to get away from that. And I think that can come in the right system, but is he going to find that spot? You know, you look at a guy like Josh Rosen who wasn't successful in his first year and now has floated around. He's in Tampa Bay right now. Will he ever get the second shot? It's the question now that I ask about Dwayne Haskins. I'm asking myself about Sam Darnold. If he, if Haskins ends up being traded, which I think he's going to by the deadline, all signs point to it. Is he going to get that second shot somewhere and is it going to be the right fit? I would like to see him in a situation like the Steelers or the Colts that have a developed offense, a quarterback that he can learn behind. And although I like Ron Rivera, a, a, another good head coach in a better situation, yeah. to see if he can grow through that, I think that he has what it takes to make it, but he needs to hone it in. He needs to be behind a good quarterback who's been around the block. Maybe Detroit with Matt Stafford, a guy who, who's been a very skilled quarterback and not had much success, I think could be a perfect guy to, tell, to, to help him get it in check. But I think that he needs that system around him and he can grow through it. It all depends on where he ends up landing. And you mentioned Josh Rosen. I think that's a perfect example because, I mean, Josh Rosen's first NFL moment was saying something really arrogant, right? Like, oh, every team that passed up on me is like they made a huge mistake, right? So arrogance works for some players, and when it works out, we we always say, oh, man, this guy was like a believer in himself, but when it doesn't, Josh Rosen, Dwayne Hassan's kind of guy, you look like you should have never probably said that, you know? I think sometimes it's better to remain humble especially within the media and the public eye. Like, if, if behind the scenes, you can be as cocky as you want to be because nobody's noticing. But when the cameras are on, you got to kind of not show that side of you, right? You have to kind of be more to yourself so people don't have a bad impression of you because, in my opinion, I think impressions are everything, especially making first ones when you get to a new team. I think those impressions last. And, and I, I think that you hit on it. The winners write history. So you you make a statement like that at the draft, like Josh Rosen, you better go out and, and play very well. And yep. if you don't, you're going to be labeled as a fool. And if you do, 
like you said, it's going to be labeled as, man, he believed in in himself, and that confidence is why he was so good. It all. If you're going to make statements like that, you got to back it up with your play, and that is what Haskins has been lacking. Let's see if he can put it together. Dwayne Haskins is a second-year quarterback. We're about to talk about a rookie quarterback, Justin Herbert. I mean, how, how impressed are you with Justin Herbert so far? So I actually like Justin Herbert coming, to, coming out of the draft, and I think that he would have been a New York Giant if he entered the draft two years ago. But... You know, obviously now he ends up in Los Angeles, which I think that, and and I talk about this all the time, I think that where you land makes or breaks you as a player in almost any sport. And I think that him going to Los Angeles was a blessing in disguise because they have a great system mm -hmm. there. The the level of talent that the Chargers had for them to be picking at six is really rare because their, their level of talent did not match their record. And Justin Herbert, you you were to- you're totally right. I mean, he landed in the perfect situation. You have Keenan Allen, Mike Williams. He's been injured. Austin Eckler, Hunter Henry, offensive line is suspect. You have a really good coach and motivator, and Anthony Lynn, who's like a players' coach, and a pretty good defense. I I think Justin Herbert. A lot of people were wrong about him so far, right? Because it's only you know been a couple games. People, I know people on YouTube called Justin Herbert Mitchell Trubisky. <laughs> people really disrespected him a lot. And he's showing now, like, you know, now, nah, like, he's better than that. People criticize him for being robotic, for, you know, throwing a lot of screens in college. And in the NFL, I mean, in just these couple of games, Tampa Bay shows zero blitz look on Justin Herbert, and he just slings it, and he hits, like, deep touchdowns, right? I think he, like, leads the league or leads at least all rookies in most deep thrown touchdown. So Justin Herbert has definitely surprised me. He's impressed me, but I still want to see Justin Herbert do it more. Yeah. And just as we speak halftime, the chargers and the saints, Justin Herbert, nine of 13, 109 yards, three touchdowns, three touchdowns. Wow. So, I mean, and this is, these are good teams. He's doing it against. It's not like he's playing against slouches. Mm -hmm. He was, the you Tampa know, Bay was one neck, of them. Neck and neck Kansas with, City. with Kansas City. Now the Played Saints. great against Tampa Bay, and now the Saints. That's three of the best quarterbacks in the league yeah. that he went toe-to-toe with. You know, it's really impressive for I mean, people people is. were really wrong about Justin Herbert. I know some people even had Jalen Hurts ahead of Herbert. People, people were talking about not even drafting Herbert in the first round. Like, he was getting really disrespected, and I feel like he's shutting a lot of his critics down in you know, everybody deserves to eat their words. I mean, the Chargers got their franchise guy, somebody who's way more exciting to watch than Phillip Rivers with all due respect. You know, Phillip Rivers was a great quarterback, but we're seeing his decline now in, yeah. in Indianapolis. He throws a lot of picks. And Justin Herbert, so far, he shows that he takes care of the ball. He's a smart kid. I think he graduated college with like a 4.0 GPA. So he's going to study the game, and he doesn't look like, you know, he's arrogant. He's a humble guy. So it looks like he's just going to keep getting better. Yeah, and I, I I think that coming out of Oregon, he needed some polishing. But if you watch the tape on him, he made some throws that just made you do a double take. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what the Chargers saw in him. And he learned behind Tyrod Taylor, who was good for Baker Mayfield. And, and when Baker Mayfield came in in his rookie year behind Tyrod Taylor, you saw the success that they had. I think that he's just a good guy to have your rookie quarterback learn under. He's a solid veteran presence, and I feel terrible for him the way things worked out for him. But, you know, I think that he has been supplanted by 
the guy that you'll see wearing a Chargers uniform on Sundays for the next decade. Yep. And talking about rookies, we're about to make our top five rookies list. So this is my list as it goes. This is not in order, all right? But this is my list. Justin Jefferson I have on that list, right? 16 receptions, 348 yards. It's probably more because I actually wrote this before the Sunday game. So he probably has like 400 yards, right? He's on pace for like 1,400 yards, and he had a 100-yard receiving game in the last two games before the Sunday game against the Texans and Colts. Joe Burrow is in my top five. Granted, he had a really bad game against the Ravens, but it's the Ravens. Joe Burrow has elevated Cincinnati at least. They're an entertaining and fun team to watch now, right? I have Justin Herbert in my top five, without a doubt. I have Michael Onwenu from the Patriots, offensive lineman. He actually has the highest graded. He's the highest graded rookie through the four through the first four weeks of an NFL season since 2006, and his his PFF grade is 1992.2. And then my other rookie is Chase Young. Like, or Antoine Winfield. I know Chase Young has been injured. He hasn't played every single game. But just when I watch Chase Young, how dominant he looks, and he's like, he's as advertised, right? I have to have him in my top five. And Antoine Winfield is playing great at the safety spot, too, so he deserves recognition. Yeah, and and I also included Chase Young on my list. I think that he has just really made that line a force in Washington, and it's helped them compete in some games that I think that they had no business competing in. Yep. And he looks like he's going to be a guy that will be a, not only an all pro, but potentially a hall of fame talent, which we kind of knew coming into the draft. Yeah. And he has done everything that you would have expected out of him in his young career so far. If we're he, being honest, if it wasn't for Joe Burrow, having one of the best college seasons of all time, Chase Young is a number one pick. Yeah. A hundred percent. And I, another guy you just mentioned, Joe Burrow. Everybody had the highest expectations for him, and I think he's coming to Cincinnati in not the best situation. And I think he's thrived for the most part. He's had his struggles, but there's a lot of growing pains going on in Cincinnati right yep. now. It's a lot of there's a lot of talent there, but it's a lot of young talent, and I feel like they're piecing everything together. But they're competing, and that's something that you can't say for the Bengals for the past three years since Andy Dalton was a solid starting quarterback. And I think that they found their franchise guy just like the Chargers. We mentioned Justin Herbert. He's also on my list. I think that those two teams found their quarterback of the future mm-hmm. and remains to be seen in Miami if Tua is that guy. And maybe you have that trio of quarterbacks in the top six that can be that, that Franchise future. quarterbacks, yep. Uh, and I, I am very intrigued to see Tua later on this season. I'm sure we are going to see him at some point. Maybe. And I mean, Fitz played like a Hall of Fame <laughs> quarterback against the 49 If anybody knows about Ryan Fitzpatrick and the way his seasons pan out, it's Jet fans. By week 10, I'm sure you'll be seeing Tua out there. <laughs> um, I want to say Makai Becton because in the time that he did play, he was a game changer for that offensive line. Like, he, he looked like a genuine veteran on that line. He's been everything the Jets could have expected and more, but I don't think he's played enough games. I think that it, two receivers can make a very good case. Justin Jefferson was one that you mentioned. Claypool. I was, that's a very good point. I was going to say C.D. Lamb. C.D. Okay, he's yeah, made a big yeah. impact in Dallas with two great receivers next to him and Ezekiel Elliott, who's one of the best running backs in football. Obviously, that 
uh, offensive attack has been forced to be more pass-centric. But I like what I've seen out of C.D. Lamb, so he also made my list. Um, but I think that there's been a, a lot of guys that you can make a case for. Yeah, you can. I mean, this this draft class was a pretty great draft class. I mean, just for wide receivers, I mean, LaVisca Chenault, Chase Claypool, yeah, Justin Claypool Jefferson. On, Claypool on Sunday. Four touchdowns. Yeah, he was phenomenal. Chase Claypool, C.D. Lamb. Jerry Judy hasn't been bad either. You know, this receiver draft alone has been really great. Offensive line, Tristan Wirfs is having a good season with the Browns. Makai Becton, you mentioned him. You mentioned Tristan Michael. Wirfs isn't yeah. too bad in Tampa Bay, even though he got demolished by Khalil Mack, but that's Khalil Mack, right? Yeah. But, yeah, this this offensive – I mean, this uh, rookie class is really good. It was hard to make this top five list, yeah. especially after Sunday when Claypool got four touchdowns. He definitely jumped up. On the listing, and he could have he, he could have had a fifth too had it mm-hmm. not been for that pass interference call. Um, and then I think even running backs, Clyde Edwards Hilaire and Jane, James Robinson. Yep, James Robinson. Yeah, I was not high on Clyde Edwards Hilaire, and he has proved me incredibly wrong. Granted, that offensive system couldn't be a better fit for a running back to walk into and be successful, but he has shown skills. Like it's yep. it's. He's made plays, no mm-hmm. question about that. And then James Robinson, who came out of nowhere, undrafted free agent, walked into a perfect situation with Fournette leaving, getting immediate touches, and he has made the most out of all of them, even at a position that is becoming incredibly undervalued. And we've seen it, you know, you look at McCaffrey, who is the best running back in football, I think, indisputably. And since he's been out, the Panthers have gone 3-0. It's and it's pretty incredible, but these two guys have really made an impact on their team as much as Clyde Edwards Hilaire yeah. can, and I think that James Robinson has been huge for that Jaguars offense and, and running and Gardner backs, Minshew. Yeah, and running backs are undervalued because of guys like James James Robinson who are undrafted rookies that come in and play like they were first rounders, right? Because he's having a better season than Clyde Edwards Hilaire, and he's undrafted, and Clyde was a first round pick, right? Like, I think as good as Clyde has been, I think if Kansas City drafted a guy like Antonio Gibson, the running back in Washington, just they would have just had the same impact. <laughs> hey, you know, Antonio Gibson is really good. Like, he makes a lot of tacklers miss. He's a receiving back. They would have been fine, right? So I think running backs are getting undervalued. And in this draft, it just goes to show it with James Robinson basically leading the way out of every single running back. Yeah. And luckily for the Chiefs, it was like, it didn't even, they didn't need any position. So running yeah. back was like a luxury for them with that first round pick, and they ended up hitting on Clyde Edwards Hilaire. But I think that there's been a lot of impressive rookies. I also, at the running back position, I really like John Taylor in Indianapolis. I think he's going to be a really solid pro. Yeah. So this is our last segment of the day before we get into the Sunday pick'em or the NFL pick'em because games are not just played on Sundays. So. The Browns, they're 4-1 and one right now. The Cleveland Browns are 4-1. and one. Browns fans should be throwing parades because I don't know how long it's been since this has happened. But what do you think the Browns are for real? Like, how for real do you think the Browns are? Uh, you look at that offense, it is, it, it's ridiculous. It's an embarrassment of riches. Nick Chubb is on the IR, and they still are a, a firepower offense. Baker Mayfield is finally starting to put it together. Since that rookie year, the beginning of that rookie year, I feel like you haven't really seen it from him. But you knew you had, you knew he had it. I-, I don't know if you agree with me on that. I mean, I, I think he, as a leader, 
And intangible wise, I think Baker Mayfield definitely has it. I think he's still he's struggled a bit with accuracy, yeah. right? But for me, like before the Colts game, they were ranked fourth in offense, twenty seventh in defense. It's probably jumped up because they really the Colts are the number one defense. Well, were before the Sunday game, and the Browns basically just did whatever they wanted with them. I mean, I, there was a stat that kind of hinted that the Colts were going to be bad against the Browns because. The Colts are great defensively against 11 personnel. What that means is that a what tight end and one running back set, right, formation. But they're horrible defensively against 12-man personnel, which means two tight ends and one running back set, right? The Browns play the most 12-man personnel out of every single team this season so far. So it was a matchup that was bound to make the Colts look embarrassed on the defensive side of the ball, and that's what happened. And I think that just hand-in-hand hand with Baker Mayfield starting to put it together a little bit, you're starting to see Odell Beckham looking like he looked in New York, an elite top-five wide receiver in the NFL, and Jarvis Landry playing as well as he's played since Miami. Those two guys hitting on all cylinders, and Kareem Hunt showing that he is still potentially a top-five running back talent in the league. When they get Nick Chubb back, I wonder who is going to be able to stop this offense if they keep hitting on all cylinders like this. And I think that it helps that they've had some time now with Kevin Stefanski, who didn't get the normal rollout as a head coach with the OTAs, the training camp, the preseason. So now, five weeks in, they're really starting to build that rapport. And with all of those guys clicking, all of those guys on the same page, that offense is dangerous. And the defense has been solid, too. And Miles Garrett has been proving that he is one of the most impactful defensive players in football. And in my opinion, I mean, before the season, I thought the Browns were going to be a playoff team. And I I say that because I was high on Kevin Stefanski from the moment he got hired. I thought he was going to be a great coach for the Browns. And it couldn't have been a better fit, right? Because in Minnesota, you turn that offense into like a top six offense, right? And you look at the personnel from Minnesota and Cleveland, it's like the same personnel, Very right? Similar. You have Stephon Diggs, Adam Thielen. Cleveland, you have Odell, Jarvis Landry. You have Kyle Rudolph. Cleveland, you have Austin Hooper, right? Offensive line, both of them were iffy, right? Yeah. Cleveland actually has a better offensive line. Running backs in Minnesota, you had Dalvin Cook. In Cleveland, you have Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb. So from the moment that Kevin Stefanski was named the head coach, I said, oh, this offense is going to be really good. And it couldn't have been b- more better for Baker Mayfield because this basically revitalized his career. And they're 4-1, and Baker isn't even playing at the level that he can play at. He can play way better still, right? So I just feel like it's a perfect fit for the Browns. And they're 4-1 right now, so I, I definitely see them winning the play- uh, making the playoffs I don't know if they're, like, first in their division or second. They're probably, what, yeah. like, second or third, right? Because I know Baltimore and Steelers are there. The only tough thing is their divisions, the Steelers at 4-0, the Ravens at 4-1, and themselves at 4-1, and and even the Bengals at 1-3-1 and are a very tough opponent. Like, you are not going to walk over the Bengals. I, I feel like I they, think... they remind me of the Dolphins where, although they might not be as talented or as good of a team, they're not a team that you could... They're not the Jets. They're not the Giants. You can't sleepwalk through the, their week. And I think that that division 
is going to be so much fun to watch down the stretch. I think that the Bengals are going to play spoiler for one of those three AFC North teams. I don't know who it is. Not going to be the Ravens, that's for sure. I I don't think it's going to be the Ravens, but I think that one of those three teams, especially the Steelers or Browns, are going to suffer a loss to the Bengals during the season, and it's going to kill them come play come playoff picture time. Uh, to be honest, I don't see it because I think that division is just filled with good teams. I think Bengals could play spoiler to another team. I don't see it in this division, but this was a correct. This is a correction I have to make. The Vikings were actually eighth in offense last year, right? And and this, now look at them. Yeah, and this is with a bad old line, right? Browns have a good old line. They thrive off of play action. Same thing Minnesota thrived off of last year. I think this team, this team's Achilles heel is going to be when. The run game isn't working, and Baker Mayfield has to drop back and pass like 30, 40, maybe even 50 times a game. That might be where we see the limit of this offense, right? But if they're able to, if they, if a team forces them to do that and Baker plays phenomenal, then we're like, wow, this offense, there's really no way to stop this offense, right? Yeah. But this is their schedule remaining, right? They're 4 1 right now. The remaining schedule is the Steelers, the Bengals, the Raiders the Texans, the Eagles, the Jaguars, the Titans, the Ravens, the Giants, the Jets, and Steelers again. So just off like the gimme wins, right? Giants, gimme. Jets, gimme. Jaguars, I think they're a gimme. And I think the Bengals are gimme, right? I think those are four gimme games. That is a super, super light out-of-division schedule. Yeah, I think those are four gimme games, so... That's eight wins right there. So then their games that they have to win against are like the Steelers, the Raiders, the Texans, the Eagles, the Titans, the Ravens, and Steelers. So if they can win two of those six, they can be a 10-6 and six team. You know, before the Colts game, I had them finishing at 9-7, and seven, but now I have them finishing at like 10-6, and 11-5 around there. My expectation for them, though, I think they make the playoffs – I'm not sure if they win a playoff game. It depends on the matchup. If they would win a playoff game and make it like far, like the AFC championship or even maybe like the divisional round, they'd be exceeding my expectations. Let me ask you something without getting too far off the topic of the Browns. Are you sold on the Steelers? Yeah, I am sold on the Steelers. I think, yeah, I am. Because they have an elite defense. Ben is back. They have weapons. And their offensive line is great. So I'm 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 really high on the Steelers and their coach Mike Tomlin. That's a great that, coach. That's the biggest problem for me is you look at that division. If you're if you're sold on the Steelers, which it's hard not to be with that defense. You know I don't even know if Ben Roethlisberger is back to being Ben Roethlisberger, but with that defense, your offense just has to be solid, and they have been more than solid through the first four weeks. And Mike Tomlin, like you said, a great head coach. And then you look at the Ravens. We know what the Ravens are. They are. As close to a juggernaut as you can be without being the Kansas City Chiefs in the NFL over the past two seasons. And are we looking at this and saying that we talked about it in the NFC where we think the NFC West could have three playoff teams? Can the NFC North have, or the AFC, AFC North, North yeah. have three playoff teams this season? Yeah, absolutely. Because you look at the divisions, AFC East, it's going to be the Bills. Maybe the Pats, right? That's the, like the Patriots at two yeah. and two. They have to get Cam Newton yeah. back and hope that they get back to so form. So may, maybe the Bills and the Pats, right? You look at the AFC West. The Chiefs, 
They're going to be there. The Raiders. The Raiders will give you a, mo- a, a run for your money. I don't think the Broncos or Chargers are going to make a run. And what about the, the AFC South? Teams. And then the South, you have the one, Titans at yeah, 3 Yeah, only one team is going to win the division in the South. And then beyond that, you have the Colts at 3-2. and two, And the Texans and Jaguars are too far gone at this point. Yeah. So maybe you do, su- do, do see the AFC North have three playoff teams. And not to mention, I think that there's going to be an added slot too, an added playoff team this year. So the Browns are definitely going to make it. There's probably are, there probably is going to be three teams that make it in the NFC North. Because uh, like, like the four gimme games are kind of like, yeah, yeah, those gimme games are really important. The Browns can't lose those games. I've been really impressed by the Browns, and I'm happy to see them being successful because I like Baker Mayfield. I wanted him for the Jets that year, that you know, big quarterback year. I was hoping the Jets would get Sam Darnold or uh, get Baker Mayfield. Of course, they end up with Sam Darnold because the Browns scooped up Baker with the number one pick, and he's finally starting to look like he's worthy of that number one pick. Yeah. So now we're going to head to our final topic of the episode, NFL pick on week six. There were some changes this week to what games are being played. Some got pushed out. So instead of the Jets and Chargers this week, it's the Jets and Dolphins. And the Broncos and Patriots are also facing this week. I forgot what team got moved for that. But let's start off. Chiefs versus Bills. Who do you have? That's going to be a really good game. Where are they playing at? They're playing in Buffalo. I could could see the Chiefs getting the upset in that one. I'm going to go with the Chiefs because I think that they're just the best team in football by far, even coming off a loss. I think that they are head and shoulders above anybody else in the league. But I I can definitely, I would not be surprised if the Bills pull off the upset. I'm going to say Chiefs, though. I'm rolling with the Bills. I think that they, they have something to prove this season. And they're playing with a chip on their shoulder. And what a, what a way to put the NFL world on notice if they beat the reigning Super Bowl champions. So I'm going with the Bills. Texans versus Titans. I'm going Titans. I think that the Texans still need some time, you know, to get the bad taste of Bill O'Brien out of their mouth. And I think that that was the right move for them, but it's kind of like the Jets. Even if the Jets fire Adam Gase, it's going to take a lot of time. But it was a step in the right direction for them. I just don't think that now is their time. I'm going Titans. With the Titans' COVID situation, I feel like it makes makes it really hard for them to prepare and actually, like, focus on the game. And I think after firing Bill O'Brien, I think it actually is making them a better team. They just came out for a win. Granted, it was against the Jaguars. Um, I think it was against the Jaguars. It probably yeah. was, yeah. But I do think that they beat the Titans, and they go on a little streak here. They they build some confidence here. Deshaun Watson, still an elite quarterback. I think they build some confidence with the win against the Titans. Ravens versus Eagles. I'm going to go Ravens. I think the Eagles can put up a fight, but I don't think they have the firepower to match that Ravens offense. Yeah, I'm going with the Ravens, too. Uh, Falcons versus Vikings. Oof. It's an ugly game. I'll go I'll go Falcons. Firing Dan Quinn, I think, might light a fire under them, and I am not high on the Vikings whatsoever. So they fired Dan Quinn. They fired uh, Thomas Dimitrioff, but their head coach, at least interim head coach, is Raheem Morris, who was their defensive coordinator which was probably the worst unit on the field. So I think that the Vikings win this game. They came off a really close game in Seattle, which they should have won. And I think they beat the Falcons. Browns versus Steelers. That's a great game. 
I'm second place in the division game. I, I'm I'm gonna say Browns, but that's a that's a coin flip. I'm gonna say Steelers. I think this is the first week where we see that run offense, run heavy offense from the Browns neutralized against the Steelers. And I think the Steelers win this game. It's going to be a huge test because that defense is the legit defense that you were mentioning when you said, will we see a legit performance out of Baker Mayfield? This is it for him. This is his opportunity. Bengals versus Colts. I'm going Bengals. I I am high on Joe Burrow, and I have not been high on the Colts. Uh, You know, they've been okay, but I think they're susceptible to a bad loss against a team like the Bengals. The Bengals are struggling right now, but I think that I think they'll pull one out. Um, the Bengals have this function. AJ Green looks like he wants to get traded yeah, now. He's gonna be gone. Yeah, and I I think that the Bengals overall not looking too good. I have the Colts in this one. They bounce back from a loss against the Browns. Um, next game, Lions versus Jaguars. I'm gonna go Lions. Jaguars are coming off a tough loss. I like Matt Stafford. I think the Lions are a solid team. We've talked yep. about them a couple of weeks now. I think the Lions pull one out. I think the Lions win one too. I mean, I hope that they don't build the lead and then blow it because in the second half they've been horrible. But I think this is a game that they should win, and I'm expecting them to win, and I'm picking them to win as well. Bears versus Panthers. Panthers. I don't know. The Panthers without Christian McCaffrey are like a totally different team, but I know who you're picking. You're going to go with the Bears because you love <laughs> Nick Foles. I'm also going to go Bears. I think that they're just the better team overall, and I think Nick Foles has been playing well, so I'll say Bears. I'm going with the Bears, too. I think the Panthers come back to reality here because they've been on the three-game winning streak. I wish Riv was here. Uh they they've been on a three game winning streak, so I'm going with the Bears. Nick Foles two and one with them, five and one overall, and I think they're going to be a viable team to win that division. Uh, you would think they you think they can win that division? I mean, they're only like a game behind Green Bay. Green Bay loses one, then they can take that spot. Yeah, if they win out. Yeah, I think the Bears have that. <laughs> with Nick Foles, anything is possible. Bear, I mean Washington versus the Giants. It's like the battle oh. of the bad teams. Uh, against any other team, I would probably pick a Washington loss because of everything that's going on in their organization right now. But I just can't see the Giants winning a football game. And I hope they do because we need the number one pick. Yeah. The Jets do. You know what? They actually showed a, a, a good fight against Dallas. I'm going to go with the Giants. I think they'll get their maybe only win of the season this week against Washington. Um, I'm going with the I'm going with Washington. I think their defense is good, and I think Daniel Jones has, like, a really bad game. Um, I hope it doesn't happen, though, because I want the Jets to get secure <laughs> that number one spot. But, yeah, I'm going with Washington to win this game. Next game, Jets versus Dolphins. Dolphins. Yeah, I have the Dolphins, too. Have, have you finally <laughs> learned your lesson on picking the Jets? No, I picked the Jets. I jinx them. So, it's like <laughs> so a win-win. Pick the Jets. Broncos versus Patriots. I'm going to go Patriots. I, the, the Broncos are still dealing with those injury issues. Mm-hmm. And Cam Newton should be back by then, no? Um, he might be. I think Jared Stidham might start, though. I'm, I'll still go Pats, but I'm much less confident in the pick. Yeah. I'm going with the Pats, too. Pa- Packers versus Buccaneers. 
That's going to be a great game. Um, I'm going to go with Tampa Bay. I think the Bucks have looked solid the past few weeks, and I think the Packers are primed for a stinker. And I think that going down to Tampa Bay, playing in that hot weather, I think is a, a bad combination for them. I think that Tom Brady has a great game, and, and the Bucks pull this one out. The Bucks are 0-2 against 500 teams in the Bears and the Saints. Aaron Rodgers has not had a turnover-worthy play all year. The only quarterback to do so. The, the other quarterback only has two turnover-worthy plays. I don't know who it is, but Aaron Rodgers has zero. I think he's an NVB conversation, and I think the Packers win this game. Because the Buccaneers have just looked super undisciplined, and I'm not sure what I'm getting from them week to week. Their defense is, like you said, you just don't know what you're getting. Mm-hmm. Rams versus 49ers. I'm going to go Rams. The Rams have really impressed me this season. I thought that they would be a middle-of-the-pack team, but they're really turning out to be a contender. That offense is getting back to the Super Bowl-esque form that it was in. And, you know, I think they could really make some noise, not only in the conference, but in the league. And I think the Niners, coming off an absolutely miserable performance, are just having everything that could go wrong go wrong, whether it's injuries or whatnot. I just don't think they're in any shape right now, especially against a great Rams team. I have the Rams, too. Uh, In San Francisco, it feels like quarterback controversy is starting to brew. Jimmy got benched. Kyle Shanahan said it was to keep him safe, but he played bad. He played horrible. Yeah, and I do think that ankle is playing into it, but I think it is almost time to start saying, is Jimmy the guy? Yeah, should should they trade for Donald up in the air? Right, but yeah, I have the Rams in this game. They've uh, they they're an elite team. They're an elite team. Cardinals versus Cowboys. Without uh, if Dak was playing, I probably would have picked the Cowboys. But without Dak, I just don't know about that offense. Andy Dalton did look really good in the fourth quarter. He's not a bad quarterback. No, no, I just don't know how he's going to be able to step in and and control this offense. Their defense has been so bad, especially to start games. And it's it's. I think that in order for the Cowboys to play well from here on out with Andy Dalton, they need to get that rushing attack involved. And what kills them is their defense plays so bad early that they need to go through the air to get back in the football game. I'm going to go Cardinals. I wouldn't be surprised to see the Cowboys win, but I just want to see Andy Dalton before I commit to a Cowboys win. I'm going to say Cardinals. Um, I'm going to say the Cowboys, the Cardinals just lost Chandler Jones for the season, arguably, arguably their best player on defense. I think that's going to hurt them a lot. And I think that they don't have a great secondary. So the Cowboys can generate a lot of points against them. It'll be a close game. It's I believe be a so. Shootout. Yeah. But I think the Cowboys pull it out. So this does it for this episode of the pick aside podcast. Before we end it, I want to give a shout out to our Patreon subscriber, his name is Jael Conrado. He pledged $15, which is a lot of money. It's more than a Netflix subscription. <laughs> so thank you for, to him. And if you guys enjoy our content, please share it. It helps us grow. Follow us on Instagram at Pick Aside Podcast and subscribe to our YouTube channel at Pick Aside. And for those of you who would like to help out the show, you can donate to us on Patreon. To find our site, simply type in patreon.com slash Podcast. And you can look at the tiers and choose how much you would like to donate. Thanks for your support. Thank you for watching and see you next time.
Hey, this is Elliot Smith from the Arsenal Vision Podcast. In case you didn't know, the show you're listening to right now, as well as my show, is part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Blue Wire was founded in 2018 on the concept that independent podcasts would be more successful if they worked together. Today, Blue Wire has grown to feature 300 shows led by former athletes, media professionals, and passionate fans. Over the past few years, Blue Wire has privately raised over $10 million to expand their team, podcast network, and business operations. Now they're raising another round on the platform WeFunder. WeFunder is a crowdsourcing service that connects startups with investors. It's a cool platform that gives everyone the opportunity to be part of a growing startup. You can invest as little as $100, and in other words, that means you don't have to be a millionaire to invest in a cool company on WeFunder. Blue Wire is raising money to expand their team, improve operations, and that will in turn help this show continue to grow. If you'd like to be a part of the Blue Wire investment round or want to find out more information, go to wefunder.com slash bluewire.